the Lord has convicted me and led me this day to spend more time with you on the subject of living under our re-elected President Barack Obama. I address this on Wednesday to my complete satisfaction. However, with conversations in the church, with conversations with many outside our church, and hearing and seeing the, the fear and the lack of faith, the angst, the dread, the frustration with many Christian Americans, I thought it would be appropriate to repeat what I did on Wednesday evening and to expand it and to deal with it a little more carefully and slowly. We want to do the will of God and we want to be faithful Christians and citizens of his kingdom here on earth until he comes for us. We have just had a wonderful 50-minute preamble, actually an hour and five minutes or so, of prayer and singing and the reading of Scripture that I wish everyone who might view this could also have had with us. We have already covered Psalm 27, verses 1 through 5, which are wonderful as David describes the Lord's protection in his life. We have had Psalm 91 in its entirety explained to us by a young man in our assembly. We have sung songs and had prayers offered by many where we have expressed our complete trust in the Lord God, our Almighty Father in heaven, and the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ sits on the throne of the universe and reigns at this very hour over all principalities and powers in heavenly places. Those are angels and devils and over all men on the earth. He rules with a rod of iron, and he dashes the nations in pieces, and he dashes the electoral map in pieces. Amen. It's all the same to him. His rod of iron meets with no resistance in this world. Our complete trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ chose President Barack Obama. From the moment of his conception, he was fulfilling the secret will of God that had been purposed before the world began. Right. The Bible says that in both Testaments. And repeats it many times. That is our faith. God chose this man to be our president. We will honor him, support him, pay him, pray for him, and thank God for him. And hopefully we can explain some of those things as we go through some slides in the Word of God this day. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be your pastor and to try to teach you the whole counsel of God as it affects every part of our lives. There is our president. Do not despise him or curse him even in your heart. Amen. He is the commander-in-chief of our nation. He has the highest authority of anyone on this earth. God gave it to him, and God raised him up and put him in the office, and our nation confirmed the choice as the one they wanted. As we make decisions in this assembly, certain kinds of decisions... The minority is asked to, com to submit completely to the decision of the majority. And we do that as a nation as well. When the majority makes a decision, the rest of us agree to go along with it, and we're going to be happy. We're not going to be happy for any political purpose. We're going to be happy for a scriptural reason, because the Bible tells us to. Let us commence our study, and may the Lord bless and lead us by His Holy Spirit in the pages of His Scripture, and in correct, logical thinking that will increase our faith and take away our fear and give us great hope for today, tomorrow, and as long as the Lord leaves us here. Right. 
The reasons for this sermon are because there has been too much angst and anger which Christians should reject that I've read, heard, seen, thought of, and been told about. Angst is anxiety, fear, worry, dread about the future. Anger is just frustration, disappointment that results in upset feelings about the president that was reelected for the next four years. Our flesh, you and me alike, is naturally, that is by nature, that's not the new man that's born by the Spirit of God, but the man we have by nature, by our first birth, is rebellious and fearful. And both must be ruled. We want to rule both of those. God has written in the Bible strictly, and He's written extensively, for leaders, for civil rulers. And I'm going to preach it. I want to preach the whole counsel of God. Everything that the Lord shows me and gives me understanding of, I want to preach it, and I don't want to mumble it. I want to declare it. I want to lift up the gospel trumpet and declare it. The sovereignty of God, which we preached just last Sunday in very graphic terms, should settle this whole issue. But some fail to apply it. The sovereignty of God, and we as a church declare that we believe it, means that you believe that God has transferred some of his sovereignty to men on earth by putting some of that sovereign dominion, some of that divine authority in offices and raised up men for those offices. And so if you really believe the sovereignty of God, you're going to also believe the sovereignty that some men have by his appointment. And if you would just apply the fact that God is completely in charge and controlling all events, he makes decisions relative to your body type, your eye color, and the president of the country in which you live. It's of great comfort and peace to know that. God's approval, and for God's approval, and we want his approval in our lives and in our church, and for God's favor or his blessings, we want to reject fear, and we want to reject fear mongers. A fear monger is someone who makes it their business to spread information to cause fear. And there's lots of them. The the media likes to be fear monger in their own way, and then there are so-called patriots and so-called survivalists and so-called Christian Americans that want to spread fear as well. And we don't want fear from any quarter. Fear doesn't do anyone any good. Fear is displeasing to the Lord, and I want to show you that, because we don't want either of these two things, because we want God's approval and His favor in our lives. Many feel like they lost an 18-month Build up to a football game. You know, ESPN will build you up for a week or for a few months and you'll get all worked up and then your favorite team loses and you are distraught. Well, this is an 18 month build up and the game is the president of the United States in the election process we went through on Tuesday and you went out and played your best football. You pushed the right button or pulled the lever for the one that you had hoped would win. And so when you go home and you look at the scoreboard and it says you lost, oh, the angst, the pain, the suffering of 18 months of emotional buildup, the media has played you like a fiddle. Right, exactly. They played you. And so you go to bed that night and you're distraught. You get up in the morning and you're just sick about what happened because you went and played and you lost. But I want to remind you of something. God is winning. God is totally winning. President Barack Obama is God's man for the hour in the office of president of our country. There's no doubt about that matter. 
God put him there. God put the office there. God gave him the executive powers he may or may not use in the next four years. God is winning. Jesus Christ has a rod of iron. He's dashing the nations in pieces. Look at a geopolitical map of the world and see the 300 or more countries out there, all with a different color and a different name, when in the days that the Lord Jesus Christ set up his kingdom, there was one. The Roman Empire. The rest of the world that wasn't under the Roman Empire didn't matter. God didn't care about them in his discussion of political and national matters in the book of Daniel. It was the Roman Empire. And the Bible says in Daniel 2.44, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms. And you look at a geopolitical map of the world and you see all those kingdoms because Jesus Christ has done that with his rod of iron. This is why I am preaching again today on a subject that I was completely satisfied with on Wednesday evening. The basis for this sermon is the word of God is absolutely true against all opinions. We believe this verse in this church. That verse says, therefore we esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And we hate every false way. We want to let the word of God direct our thoughts regarding a nation's politics. My brethren, the constitution of the United States, the founders of the United States, whether they be Patrick Henry or George Washington or Benjamin Franklin, or that beloved flag that you think so dear, are only as good as scripture. And I'm going to tell you something. The constitution is not a biblical document. The founders were not all Bible Christians, and the flag has nothing to do with the Bible. So just keep all that in mind. Our founding fathers, the U.S. Constitution and our flag, do not mean very much to me in comparison to the Word of God. If I compare our Constitution and our founders and our flag to the founders and the written documents and the flag of the Soviet Union, I like ours better. But when it comes to the Word of God, they don't mean anything to me. Christianity and Americanism are not cousins. They're actually enemies. I'm sorry to disappoint anyone hearing that for the first time, but it's true. You say, but our, but our pledge says under God, one nation under God. But what God are they talking about? The God of Hollywood? The God of Islam? The great spirit of the so-called Native Americans who we used to call Indians? The only Christian nation we know is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's according to 1 Peter chapter 2. And verse 9, which says that we are members of a holy nation, citizens of it. We don't have either flag in this church, neither a flag of South Carolina nor a flag of the United States, because our loyalty is not to either of them. It's a shame that churches put flags representing nations that stand opposed to the Bible in a church that supposedly preaches the Bible. It surprises me that men want to stand at a pulpit thumping a Bible, and yet their backs are in front of two flags that represent philosophies, practices, legislation against the Bible. 
So we choose Scripture over nationalism or patriotism. We want to stand on Scripture. I was exposed to fear mongers from a very early age. The earliest memories that I specifically have are from the age of seven. But I've been exposed to a lot of it. I've heard a lot of their fear-mongering and a lot of their rumors and a lot of their forecasts over the last 50 years. I also was part of a church that opposed the powers that be by harboring and defending those who were committed to rebellion and sedition against the United States of America. And I am opposed to that because of the Word of God. As you're going to see, I'm strongly opposed to that. I've had experiences in my life with a number of men, men who were well-known in the patriot movement, men who were well-known in the anti-tax movement of this country. I have watched them. I have heard their arguments. I have seen the fruit or the lack of thereof in their lives. And so I come with some background for this subject, howbeit, It's the Word of God that counts. Are you discouraged by the 2012 election? Many Christians voted for Governor Mitt Romney against the liberals of America. And why don't I just go ahead and say it like I did? You know, I wanted to slap the faggots of this country and the sodomites, the same thing. Hollywood, the labor unions, now the NEA and everyone else basically, that wanted to vote for a liberal platform. Many Christians did that, and they got up in the morning and were sick that they had lost the football game. All the Bible Belt states across the South, they all went for Governor Mitt Romney. Because there's more Bible believers in the South, and they're more conservative, and they think a little differently than the liberal North. It's mostly Catholic, agnostic, or atheistic. Or the West Coast, like California, or the southeastern tip of Florida. Many Christians are fearful today, they're anxious, they're worried, they're frustrated, or they're angry about the results of President Obama being re-elected over Governor Mitt Romney. It wouldn't have been much different under Governor Romney. He was picked very moderate by the machinery of the Republican Party. They didn't want some conservative like Ron Paul, because Ron Paul wouldn't have been able to gather the votes that Governor Mitt Romney did. And so, I don't know why you're so worried about the difference. It really is just a football game for another four years. And very little will be done, even without considering the Lord. But with considering the Lord, the only things that will be done are the things that He has chosen will be done. Good Christians, and that's what we want to be, will get behind the president. And that's President Barack Obama, as the Bible says we should. And I'll show you. Nothing has changed, brethren. We had four years. We get four more. Live. Eat, drink, and be merry. And I'll show you that from the Bible. Enjoy your lives. We still live in a nation with the greatest combination of blessings the world has ever seen. We are so abundantly blessed. And the Word of God is very plain to us in warning us that if we are not thankful for the abundance of all things, we are in serious trouble. And since we know the fact that we are the most blessed people ever, we should be giving the most thanks ever. And thus, this afternoon, by God's mercy and grace, we'll have a Thanksgiving dinner together. And we'll just rejoice about the good things God's done for us. But let's live. 
That's the purpose of my preaching today, for us to be good Christians and to live victorious, joyful, successful, planned out lives under God's will. Submission to civil authority is our duty. This is our duty, brethren. And here are ten passages of Scripture that are not the entire Bible on this subject, but they are ten prime passages, and I'm going to lead you through them right now. I am preaching the Word of God to you. My job description is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Preach the Word. Not preach my opinions, not preach the nation's history, but preach the Word. Here is the Word. Proverbs chapter 24. My son, this is King Solomon to his son Rehoboam, fear thou the Lord. Now we know about the fear of the Lord. In addition to that, and fear the king. The two go together. The one comes first, the other comes second. We are supposed to fear God. That fear of God is a respectful reverence for his office and his power, lest we displease him in any of our conduct. We are supposed to fear a king the same way. Respectful reverence for his office and the desire not to displease him in anything. It goes on to say, after fearing the Lord and the king, meddle not. That means don't get mixed up with. Don't be involved with them that are given to change. Now the change here isn't qualified for us, and so we understand it to be change about the worship of God and change about the course of nations and their politics. We don't want to be involved in those that are talking about changing worship. We preach enough on that. And we don't want to be involved with those that talk about the change in government that ought to take place. We're not going to change government. Let the government follow its own course. This is not our nation. We are strangers and pilgrims here on our way through it on the way to heaven. Let them have their government. Let them write their documents. Let them have a Federal Reserve fractional banking system. You're not going to stop it. And all of you here and all of you listening to me all believe in it anyway. And I can prove that by saying and asking, show me your money. Because what you will do is pull from your pocket little pieces of paper that are not legal tender in our nation by its constitution but are in fact Federal Reserve promises to pay, promissory notes. That's why it's called a note. We don't care about the Federal Reserve system. We don't care about the Internal Revenue Service except to say God bless the IRS because they contribute to the well-being of this church and all other gospel churches in this country by contributing a part of what you give to the work of the Lord. Given to change. Those that want to change government. Those that talk revolutionary ideas. Those that want to say the way our government is doing things is wrong and should be changed. This is the word of God. I'm trying to give you the fairest interpretation of it possible. We don't want to do that about things religious. And we don't want to do that about things political. Because God chose the political course of this nation. And he didn't choose you to change it. He'll choose other men to change it when it's in his mind to change it. For their calamity, that is people that are given to change, their calamity shall rise suddenly. God's going to judge them. And who knoweth the ruin of them both? 
Now we've got the word both here, so we know that two things are under consideration. The two things under consideration are them that are given to change. And I hope that you can follow my drawing. I get a little crazy because I get a little excited when I'm preaching. And you shouldn't put a pen in my hand. But the two people that are here are both them that are given to change and those that are meddling with them. Both are going to get themselves in trouble because God doesn't want us doing either one of them. He wants us submitting. Joseph did not try to change the political situation in Egypt. Esther did not try to change it in Persia. Daniel didn't try to change it in Babylon. Those people only exercise the authority that God arranged for them to have, which he has not arranged for anyone here to have, when... The orders of that nation contradicted the orders of God's word directly. Until then, let them have their nation. We have ours. You have a full-time job to keep your kingdom at home and to help the kingdom that is this little church as part of Christ's kingdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is as the wise man? Don't we all want to be like Solomon? Who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing. Let's be wise. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. A wise man is able to figure out when he ought to be confident, when he ought to be a little discreet and prudent, because he's able to interpret and understand the course of things. Now here is a wise man, if we just read the context of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I counsel thee. Now who's doing the counseling? The wise man. Notice it is the wise man. When it's talking about the wise man, in the book of Ecclesiastes, what wise man do you think he's talking about? Solomon. Solomon's counsel was, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment. Whatever the king or the authority of a land says to do, you should do it. And you should do it in regard of the oath of God. We have made an oath that we're going to be faithful citizens of this country, as citizens of the country, you have all made the pledge to the flag, and we are baptized Christians, by which we have done the same thing, because Jesus Christ, to whom we pledged our allegiance, also tells us to keep the king's commandment. Don't be hasty to go out of his sight. Don't you walk away from him. Don't turn away from him. Don't think you're not going to submit to him. And don't stand. The word not there tells us don't stand in an evil thing. Don't be doing anything against his laws. For he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. He is the one that sets the laws and we should follow them. Where the word of a king is, there is power or authority. And who may say to him, what doest thou? See, God endorses absolute authority by rulers. In fact, he doesn't believe in the separation of powers. He believes in an absolute ruler who's a whole lot cheaper and more efficient in making decisions than the deadlock that our nation gets itself in and will likely be in for the next four years, worse than the past four years, because even the Democrats will know they can no longer ride his coattails because there will be no coattails in 2016. Whoso keepeth the commandment, that is the king's commandment, shall feel no evil thing. If we obey and are good citizens, 
will feel no evil thing. That is the ordinary general rule of God's word. And a wise man's heart, remember back up there in verse 1, discerneth both time and judgment. When we're bold, when we're quiet. When we may be outspoken, when we may be a little more reserved. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. We don't even want to curse President Barack Obama in our thoughts. Your thoughts about him should be good thoughts. Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, even in your bedroom. Don't be saying things against the rich. Now, who are the rich? Might they be people like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers? The DuPonts and the Warburgs? They're more successful than you are. Why do you want to rail on them? Because they're out to get me. They're out to get you. Oh, really? You wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for them. Do you know what you'd be doing? You'd be still trying to clear your 160 acres to cut down the trees and make yourself a log cabin with a log outhouse. They are the ones with the capital that could say, let's stretch a railroad track from St. Louis to California. You couldn't afford the ties, the rails, the gravel, and the installation for a quarter of a mile with your entire life's earnings. Henry Ford, we're thankful that a man God gave the initiative to, to build plants. Do you know what it takes to build a plant to manufacture an automobile? I just want to remind you what the Bible says. Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. God is going to take care of the rich. You can't even be a a fleeting thought in their minds. But God can put them on their deathbed. Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be that thou hast prepared? Let the Lord take care of the rich. We don't curse them. We're thankful for them. I'm glad there were some great capitalists in this country that would put their capital to risk. Oh, yes, and they made a great return because they did some pretty neat things like building automobile plants and railroads before the rest of the world knew what those things were. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. This is the word of God. This is Ecclesiastes 10.20. Don't curse the king. Don't curse the president. Don't curse... Anyone in authority over you. You don't want your wives cursing you. You don't want your children cursing you. You don't want your employees cursing you. What goes around comes around, as we'll see. Matthew 22. The Jews tried to trap Jesus because they were all nationalistic. They had nationalistic fervor because of their constitution. Their constitution was the Old Testament scriptures. And they came to Jesus and said, Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful? To give tribute unto Caesar or not? Was it lawful? Did the Old Testament tell them to pay taxes to Caesar? Are you kidding? No, it was unlawful. From a de jure standpoint, de jure. That's Latin for the written law. The written law of the Jews was the Old Testament. They weren't supposed to pay taxes to Caesar. They were supposed to collect taxes from Caesar. And they would have been if they had been faithful to God. But Jesus perceived their wickedness. Now, he knew that they were just trying to trick him, and they really didn't care about any law. Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. Show me the money. 
I love to do that. That's such a simple question when someone comes to you and says, I don't believe in the Federal Reserve System. Show me your money. I don't believe in the IRS. Show me your money. If you don't believe in the IRS because you don't think the IRS is, a, is constitutional, even though it has a constitutional amendment, then show me your money, which isn't any more constitutional or less than the IRS that you're saying isn't constitutional. Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Who is this? Who is this picture and these words and the name that's on this coin you just showed me? Who is it? They do the same thing I try to do, and I've tried to teach you to do when you get someone dumb enough to argue from the Constitution. Who is it? They had a Constitution that was better than ours by a little bit. The Old Testament scriptures compared to the U.S. Constitution, no comparison in time or eternity. Amen. Who is this image in superscription? They say unto him, it's Caesar's. Then saith Jesus unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. There had been a de facto change in that government. That's called de facto. That's Latin for the government that in fact... The real government that's reigning. It's no longer constitutional. It's a de facto government because Rome had defeated the Jews. And Rome was now occupying their nation. And Rome was circulating their coins. And guess what? They were using their coins for commerce because the Romans weren't going to accept Jewish money. So look at the Lord Jesus Christ and how he deals with those that want to argue about government. This is a very nationalistic-minded man with a very nationalistically minded people. This was the church of God of the Old Testament. And yet, submission to Caesar and paying of his taxes because God had shown by the facts and reality of the case that there was a new government over Israel, like there is a new government over America and has been for a long, long time. I like to start with Abraham Lincoln. Because Abraham Lincoln is the first one to violate the money rules of our Constitution by issuing greenbacks to finance the Union Army against the South because it was too unpopular to raise taxes for that war, so he issued greenbacks. They were paper money to finance the war from the side of the North. Contrary to the Constitution. But we're not here for history. Except to look at this a passage like this and say, how does that apply to us? What wisdom can I gather from Matthew 22? And the wisdom is that there are changes in government that we should be able to identify and then submit to the new government. Just as Jesus did to Caesar. Romans 13, the passage everyone should know. Let every soul, that's you and me, no matter how independently minded we might think we are, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. This word powers is describing authority, ruler, civil rulers, magistrates, those who wield the sword, those who can cut your head off, those who collect toll, custom, and tribute. These are civil, national, political rulers. There is no power. There is no political ruler but of God. It doesn't matter whether you call that person president, premier, or prime minister. It's of God. God ordained these civil authorities. He ordained five spheres of authority. Adam was the husband of Eve, and he was over her. 
He was to rule over her, Genesis 3.16. Then parents over children, pastors over churches, like Moses over the church of the Old Testament, masters over employees, and civil rulers over citizens. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now when Paul wrote this to the church at Rome, what powers was he talking about? He was talking about the Roman Empire. And what Caesar ruled that empire from 54 A.D. to 68 A.D.? Nero. The powers that be are ordained of God. The Roman Empire is God's ruler and God's power and God's representative and God's minister on earth. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power... If you resist, my brethren, we resist the ordinance of God. We resist it two ways. One, the ordination of civil authority itself. And two, the man that God providentially raised up to put in it. And I have preached extensively on this from the pages of Scripture in a lengthy sermon entitled, The Ordinance of Authority. And they that resist, if we resist, those that God puts in authority over us are going to receive to ourselves damnation. God is going to judge you. God is going to judge you in some way. It may be your health. It may be your family. It may be your business. It may be your income. It may be your peace of mind. I don't know what it will be, but I believe the Bible. God will bring damnation on those that resist civil authority because God gave us civil authority. Rulers are not a terror to good works. This is the ordinary general rule of all government. Ordinarily. In general, you say, well, what about the exceptions? God has exceptions for everything stated in the Bible. When the Bible says the hand of the diligent shall be made rich, there are some men that are diligent that never get rich because God has other principles from other verses in the Bible bearing out in their lives at that time. This is the general rule of why God gave government. Listen, if you want to criticize this statement right here for rulers and then a terror to good works, I will sit down with you at your leisure and point out to you that you have not been that you have been a terror to good works in your family <clears throat> because there is no perfect authority on earth right. but imperfect authority ordained by God is better than no authority right. Amen. but to the evil rulers are a terror to evil I mean if you committed murder or sedition or you stole in the Roman Empire you got punished for it Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? He's a terror. You should be afraid of the power. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. We want to be the best citizens President Barack Obama has. Like our fathers before us were the best citizens under the Roman Empire and in the nations of Europe. We want to be faultless before them. We want to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, before a crooked and perverse nation among whom we shine as lights in the world. Now, did Paul sneak in a little bit about where we live? Don't get me wrong. I'm just going to preach the Bible the way it's written and and the sense that we should put on these words. For he is the minister of God. Kings are the minister of God to thee for good and those that the king appoints under him. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. He can cut your head off. He can put you in prison. For he is the minister of God. Can you believe that? That's in there twice. He's the minister of God. What was God's title for Nebuchadnezzar? In the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah especially. My servant. 
Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, the most despotic, arrogant, proud, rapacious leader of the world, the great head of gold of the Babylonian Empire, the Chaldean, that would walk through his gardens and in his palace after Daniel's warning and say, look what I have built for the glory and majesty of my kingdom. What did God call him? My servant. Why? Because God used Nebuchadnezzar to pound all the nations known in the world at that time. Because he sent his prophet to tell them, if you want to preserve your nation, submit voluntarily to Nebuchadnezzar and start paying. Because if you don't, he's going to crush you. Most didn't want to do that. But he was my servant. Right. So he's the minister of God. Look at he's a revenger. To execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. When there's a thief, they get punished. If, they, if a murderer gets punished, kidnappers get punished. And who executes this wrath? You don't. The church doesn't because they're outside the church. This is a civil responsibility. Wherefore, because of this that's been said, ye must needs be subject. There is a need for us as wise Christians to obey our government. Right. One, for wrath. Because if they get angry at us, they can hurt us. Two, for conscience' sake, out of conscience toward God. Because God set that office up, and because God put the man in it, we want to do it to please God. For, for this cause, here is a collective noun for the two causes that we just had, because we have this also here, that there's more than one. For, for this cause, pay, tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. See, someone in the office of a government can't go out and work a job. That is his job. So because that's his job, we got to pay him to support him while he's doing the job of protecting us, leading us into battle, leading our soldiers into battle. You know, kings would go out into the battlefield. We'd be at home if, if we weren't old enough to be in the if we weren't old enough to be in the army, or we were too old to be in the army, we'd be at home raising the crops to feed the nation, to feed our family, and to feed the army. And this is why. It's all, it's all very plain. For this cause, this is why we pay taxes. Because government has big bills. Of course, sometimes they have bigger bills than they should have. Haven't I already said that? That a king would be more efficient than the kind of government we have? We have a bureaucratic government where about one in every four or five people end up working for this, the government. They're God's ministers. Render, therefore, render to all their dues, everything they require of us. Let's pay their tribute money. Remember, they came to Jesus and said, here's the tribute money. Customs. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Customs, tolls. Customs at the border. Customs that, the, that might require of us. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. If, if a king has appointed a governor over Judea like Pilate or Herod, and then they've appointed soldiers, then we are supposed to honor them right down the chain of command. 1 Timothy 2. I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, this is one of the most important things in a Christian church, supplications, let's get these four things, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. This is all kinds of men. Like, I'll show you in just a moment, like when it says the love of money is the root of all evil. No, Adam did not eat the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was an act of evil because of his love of money. Right. The love of money is not the root of all sins. 
The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, of all kinds of sins, and this is to be made for all kinds of men, and then he points out two kinds of men, for kings and for all that are in authority. And if you were to go on to verses 4, 5, and 6, it would say all men again, because the Jews, which made up a great portion of the New Testament church, and Timothy was being instructed on how to advise them, they did not think very highly of the Gentiles. And yet the scriptures are, we are supposed to pray for Gentiles, you Jews, who think too nationalistically about your own race. But mainly it's right here in verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority. This is a major part. Look at first of all, this is a major part of a Christian church's duties. To supplicate, that is to beg for God's provision, to pray, to ask him for his mercy and blessings, to intercede, to go to God on their behalf, since they will not be going the same way that you go with the same name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then giving of thanks to be made for kings and for all that are in authority, even if they are Roman occupiers of our nation. And the reason for it is that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. We want everything to work out well for our government, so that we're not at war, so that we have prosperity, and so that we can live with a godly life and an honest life. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What a statement. This is why I preach the way I do about these kind of things, because this is what the Bible says. I want to do, and I want you to do, and I want everyone that hears this to do, those things that are good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, number four looks pretty hard. Number four is right here. Giving of thanks. Now, who are we? what government are we talking about here in 1 Timothy 2? One of the last things Paul wrote would have been Rome. And the Caesar ruling would have been Nero. Nero. How can you be thankful? How can you give thanks for Nero? Nero's killing Christians. How can you give thanks for a man that's killing Christians? Follow with me. When Paul got caught by the Jews, an angry mob in the city of Jerusalem... Who came and rescued him? A Roman centurion and captain. Appointed by whom? If we trace it back. By Nero. Because that captain got a little frustrated at the public disturbance. Are you thankful that we have people that get frustrated at public disturbances? They're going to help protect us from public disturbances. That was an occupying army. And it was Jews, Paul's own people, that were after him. And yet he was upset about that public disturbance. And so he brings Paul in, he's going to scourge him. And Paul just said a few words, and what were those words? Is it lawful for you to beat a Roman uncondemned? Did a discussion follow about the laws of the Roman Empire? I paid a great price for my citizenship. Paul says, but I was freeborn. <laughs> did, did the guy get scared? Did the captain who had pulled out his scourge get nervous about beating the Apostle Paul? Yeah. On what basis? His fear of one man. Do you know who the one man was? Nero. He didn't do it out of fear of God. 
He did it out of fear of Nero. Did Paul's little nephew overhear a conspiracy to have Paul killed while traveling from Jerusalem to Caesarea? Do you remember that? Did the Apostle Paul say to his captain, would you please listen to this young man's story? And the young man told the story. And how many went along with Paul on his trip from Jerusalem to Caesarea? Several hundred and a cavalry, armed uh, horse soldiers of the Roman Empire. How did he get an army to protect him from Jerusalem to Caesarea? Nero, when he stood on trial before Festus and Agrippa, and the Jews brought their orator out of Jerusalem, and they laid a very sophisticated case that Paul ought to be tried back in Jerusalem. And when Paul realized that the movement in the court and the sentiment in the court was going against him to make him have to go back to Jerusalem to be tried before the Jews, he said, I appeal to Caesar. Did Caesar save Paul's life? What was Caesar's name? Nero. Did Paul get free transportation to Rome with a ship full of armed men to protect him? Did they give him special privileges? Did they trust him? When he was in Rome, did he have his own rented house for two years where he could preach the gospel freely? I love government. When God, this is the worst man that ever was sat in a throne. And he ended up cutting Paul's head off. But do you know when he cut Paul's head off? When the Lord said, now it is better for you to depart and to be with me. Until then, he was preaching wide open and some of Caesar's own household had been converted according to the testimony of the New Testament. Did I just give you a list of things to be thankful for for Nero? Listen, I've been struggling myself the past week. But the Lord's very merciful. If we'll just think about the whole Bible, the Bible is full of wonderful things. Nero saved Paul's life numerous times and provided for him and protected him from the Jews. First Peter 2, same, same empire, Rome, same Caesar, Nero. Submit yourselves, submit. Well, now, husbands love that when it says it to wives. Do you love it when it says it to you? Submit yourselves to every ordinance. That includes the ones you don't like for the Lord's sake. I've told you this, and I'm only using it for illustration. I don't like wearing a shoulder harness, a seatbelt in my vehicle. In my little mind, I think I have the right to put my face through my windshield if I want to. Because not wearing a seatbelt is not going to protect you from my driving. It's only to protect me, and if I don't want to protect me, it should be my right not to protect me. Does that make sense to you? But what part of you does it make sense to? It doesn't make it doesn't make sense to you of your spiritual part because your spiritual part believes 1 Peter 2.13. And when I slap that thing on me every time I get in the car and go anywhere and I click it, I, not every time I say this, but it's always a gift to the Lord. I will tell the Lord many times in my heart, I'm submitting myself to every ordinance of man for your sake. Right. Whether it be to the king as supreme, that's the highest authority, or under governors, 
as those that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Same thing as Romans 13, being taught to us as the general purpose of government, just like the general purpose of fathers is to take good care of children and to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to be great men. Do all fathers do that? No. Is that still the office of a father? Yes. Should children still submit to fathers even when they're not doing that job perfectly? Yes, yes, and yes. Should a husband love his wife and make her the chief desire and precious little object in his life like Proverbs 5.19 tells us? Yes. What if a husband doesn't do that? Does the office of husband still exist for the same purpose in the same way? Yes. Should a wife still submit to a husband who isn't the loving husband that he should be? Yes. And so we do it to kings and to governors. For so is the will of God. Do you know why we're doing this study today? So that we, as the members of this church and anyone else that hears this, will know the will of God because I'm going to tell you the will of God about President Obama. And that with well-doing, it's called well-doing, we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish men who criticize Christianity because we are going to be the best citizens this nation has. We are going to be the most faithful and the most loyal and the most honest. We are not going to allow jokes about our president. We are not going to tell jokes. We are only going to speak about him respectfully, even though people may know that we disagree with him on very many principles. We're going to shut their mouths. This is the word of God telling us why we do it. We are free, brethren. We are free because we're the children of God. But we are not going to use our liberty. We have liberty not to obey anyone on earth. Because Jesus Christ is our king, but our king has told us to obey those on earth. We are not going to have a cloak of maliciousness and excuse ourselves by saying we have another king named Jesus. We are going to obey these kings that God's given us until they come in direct contradiction with our king. Then we will obey our king against them. Because we are the servants of God, and God has told us as his servants to serve them. Honor all men, all kinds of men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Notice the order again. First, and then second. Fear God. Honor the king. Do you submit yourself to every ordinance of man? Do you do it for the Lord's sake? Do you do it because you know it's the will of God? Do you know that it's well-doing? Do you do it to shut up foolish men? When others in the world find out that we're rebellious in nature, that we are cantankerous and disrespectful and curse and tell jokes and stories about authority, they know that our religion is false. Our religion is empty. Our religion is a sham. Let it not be said of us. 2 Peter 2. This is a warning about false teachers and reprobates. This is a a description of reprobate false teachers that God will send to hell. Chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. They're sodomites. Here's their philosophy. They despise government. We do not want to despise government. Our nation was founded on despising government. It was founded on despising the government of the King of England. Not until we are pressed ourselves between choosing between God and a president will we choose God over the president. We're going to choose the president as the minister of God until that happens. We do not despise government. We love civil government. This was written to Jews. Paul, Peter wasn't writing Gentiles. Peter was writing Jews. And do you know what government he was talking about? Rome. Do you know how hard it was for a Jew to submit to Rome? 
presumptuous are they, self-willed. They're just going to do whatever they think is right. They are not afraid, and they should be afraid, to speak evil of dignities. We do, don't ever tell a joke about our president. Don't ever let anyone tell a joke about our president. Don't look at any cartoons that are caricaturizing him or ridiculing him. We live in a nation that despises government, and we live in a nation of a bunch of sodomites, and it all goes together, and the Bible told us about it in advance. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, angels are greater in power and in might, do not bring railing accusation against them before the Lord. Now, them's a pronoun. Angels do not rail. To rail is to call names. Angels do not rail on them before the Lord. Who is them? Them is a pronoun. What's the antecedent? As we start tracing back, we're looking for a plural noun. Oh, there's one. So the angels bring, do not bring railing accusation against the angels. No, the angels are doing it against someone else, and it's a plural. So let's keep going back. Oh, dignities. So civil rulers on earth, angels which are greater in power and might. There's no comparison between Nero and an angel or President Obama and an angel or Adolf Hitler and an angel, but those angels do not before the Lord bring a railing accusation against those men. A name-calling, cheap, disrespectful, snotty condemnation of them. Do the watchers and the holy ones ever report evil being done? Yes. Do the watchers and the holy ones ever get sent back with some jobs to do? Yes. But look at the power of this passage. But these, that is back to those evil men that are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, they're like brute beasts, that's rabid dogs, made to be taken and destroyed, and God will. They speak evil of things that they understand not. They don't understand government, and they're going to utterly perish in their own corruption. Now how's that? This is what the Bible says, and I preach it, and I don't apologize for it, and I don't modify it or qualify it. I explain it. It's pretty obvious to you what it's saying. Let's not be guilty of this at all. These are sodomite enemies of God that will be destroyed. Put them in mind. That's why I'm preaching this twice, Wednesday night and today, to be subject. That means to be under their authority, to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Good works are associated with being a good citizen. And Jude 1, 8 through 10 says the same thing as 2 Peter 2. These filthy dreamers, that means because they're sodomites, they defile the flesh because they're sodomites. They despise dominion. They speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel wouldn't even rebuke the devil himself, but said the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things that they don't understand, only thinking naturally. They're like brute beasts. A brute beast has to be shot because he can't be trained. We don't want to be brute beasts. This is the life we want right here. Here's 10 passages of Scripture, and I'm going to cover them a whole lot faster. This is what we want to live like under President Obama. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's be godly, and let's have contented lives with the government that we have. It's the best government. Tell me right now where you want to go. There's 300 nations. Which one do you want to go to that's got a better government and a better combination of blessings than we have? Okay, if I found you a time tunnel, where would you want to go to have a better life than we can have right now in America under President Obama? Be content. Go thy way. 
Eat thy bread with joy. Drink thy wine with a merry heart. Eat, drink, and be merry. One, two, three. Eat, drink, and be merry. For God now accepteth thy works. That's what makes it wonderful to live. God accepts us through the Lord Jesus Christ in our practical obedience. Let thy garments be always white. Let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days, all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor, which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Life is short, so eat, drink, and be merry. Not like an Epicurean without regard for God, but because God now accepteth thy works. Live joyfully with your wife, and whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Promote and press your professional job. Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You are not going to keep your daily bread on your table by voting or writing petitions or sending letters to congressmen. You are going to keep bread on your table by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will put the bread on your table just like he feeds the ravens of the field. Philippians 4.11, I don't speak in respect of want, for I have learned. This is something you and I need to learn, and America does not want you to learn it because Americans are always discontent. Other nations are content, and they have far less than we do. We who have the most are the least content as a nation. For I have learned in whatsoever state, that's the name of a public or a, a political segment of society we can take it that way or we can take it as in whatever condition of life i'm in i have learned to be content we want to learn that i know both how to be abased and i know how to abound everywhere and in all things i am instructed because god instructed him by the spirit to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need i can do all things through christ which strengtheneth me these all things right here are basically contentment that no matter his circumstances, Jesus Christ would strengthen Paul to be content, and he can strengthen you to be content. Amen. Hebrews 13, let your conversation be without covetousness. Don't want the things that you don't have. Be content with the things that you do have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Who cares what our government does? The Lord Jesus Christ is with us. So that we may boldly say, are you, can you boldly talk? Or are you fearful? So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. All of it. Don't trust your knowledge. Don't trust your understanding. Don't trust your government. Don't put your trust in princes. Put your trust in the Lord. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. You just acknowledge God. Don't worry about our government. He'll take care of us. There's the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments because God's going to bring every work into judgment. We're compassed about. That means we're surrounded in 360 degrees by a stadium of witnesses that are in heaven. These are all the saints that have gone before us, so we should lay aside every weight that slows us down. And a lot of that is political thinking, political research. You're not going to change a thing. It doesn't do you any good. I'll prove it in your life if you come and tell me. 
It's a distraction. It's a diversion. It corrupts our inner man. It doesn't leave us content. It frustrates us. It irritates us. It undermines our reputation. It steals our opportunities in life because you live fearful. You're looking for sinister motives behind everything that happens. And these kind of Christian patriots I'm talking about see a sinister motive behind every single thing. If the president blows his nose and it happens to make it onto television, there is some sinister motive behind it that he has been testing some brain drug by the UN that they're going to give the rest of us in our drinking water. On and on it goes. There is no end. If they see a tank in the wrong place, see it's the wrong place to them because they don't have insider information, then it's a danger to us. I'm thankful that tanks are in places where people don't know they are so that they can protect us when the time comes. You say, well, how do you know the government's going to want to protect us? How would I know that Nero was going to protect Paul over and over and over and over again? And I didn't use all the overs I could have. We have a race to run. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and that was a political power that put him to death, despised the shame and has set down the right hand of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I saw, heard, sensed too much weariness and too much fainting in some minds, and it scared me, it disappointed me, and I know it disappointed the Lord, and so I'm doing this again, though I thought Wednesday night was fully sufficient and appropriate. I don't want any of you to be wearied and faint in your minds. I can tell you that there were a couple of hours on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning when I was kind of weary and faint in my own mind, and I'll admit it and confess it, but I confessed it to him that is above, and I've repudiated it. And hopefully you heard that on Wednesday night. Oh, yes. Charge them that are rich in this world, not that they give all their money to political organizations, to try to turn the tide for good, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Under what government? Under what president? That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. They're not politically involved at all. They're not vigilant. They're not trying to pretend they're Patrick Henry. They're good Christians. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come because they don't care about the time at hand. What matters is the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. If we argue about our government, we're guilty of murmurings and disputings. Get off it. Why? What's the purpose? What verse told you to do so? What profit have you accomplished? What good does it do your soul? What good does it do those that hear you? We want to be blameless. We want to be harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. We don't want anybody to be able to rebuke us for something the Bible told us not to do in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Yes, the Bible will speak the truth about the nations in which we live, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. That's what we want to hold forth. We don't want to hold forth the U.S. Constitution, our founding fathers, or the flag. We want to hold forth the word of life that Paul and ministers may rejoice in the day of Christ that they have not run in vain nor labored in vain. We want to honor civil authority because it's a very plain and strict Bible doctrine. We want to be godly citizens because it's our duty. Patriotic vigilance is not our duty. Our priority is the kingdom of God. That is our holy nation, not the USA. When you start to mistrust government, it leads to fantasy that everything they're doing has a sinister motive. 
It leads to despising them. That's called despite. It leads to rebellion when you start disobeying them. And then it leads to sedition when you sell that rebellion to other people. I have watched this for 50 years. I could name names, but I'm not going to name names because it's unnecessary. That is the progression of sin. Fear is devilish. It denies faith because faith overwhelms fear by trusting God. It denies the faith, which is our gospel, and faith is in hell. Revelation 21.8 tells us that the fearful and the unbelieving are the first two categories of people that are in hell. Because how in the world could you be a believer in God if you're afraid? Now, there's times to be afraid, but Wednesday morning was not one of those times. We had him for four years. We're going to get him for another four years. He's going to do less the second four years than he did the first. When we see real danger, we'll talk about fear. You know, I was embarrassed before God today in the passages that were being read by the pestilence that was coming at night and the arrow flying by day and the songs that we sang. And the, oh, I love Psalm 91, Brother Adam. And I, I use Psalm 27 myself about a host encamping against us. But I was embarrassed before the God of heaven that we would even be using such passages because there's no one encamped against us. Right. They're still subsidizing us. Do you know what? They believe in abortion for themselves, but they keep subsidizing you to have more children by granting you tax exemptions. That's right. They're on our side. God bless the IRS. Go read the document. Go through the math. Go figure out how the IRS contributes to this church to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of his name. <laughs> it's true. Evil communications in politics or news, they corrupt good manners. Right. If you think that you can involve yourself in evil communications about government without it corrupting your manners, you have missed the first words of 1 Corinthians 15.33. This is 1 Corinthians 15.33. And what are the first words? Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Every man's a liar. Romans 3, 4 tells us that. And the internet allows any man to publish anything at any time for no cost. It's never been allowed in the history of the world. You had to have capital to publish a book in the past. What goes around comes around, so we should exalt authority so that those under our authority obey us and honor us. Time is precious, brethren, and it should be redeemed according to this passage of Scripture. Politics is a profitless distraction. The media, you'll never know, you'll never know the truth of what's going on because it's classified and top secret, and you'll never change a thing about it. The media play the ignorant, and Christians should know better, so I hope you don't get played again in another election. Here's our response. God gave us Barack Obama for another term. Believe it and trust him, and I hope you notice something about that pronoun. It's got a capital H. Right. Honor him, small h. Honor the president that God gave us because the Bible said honor the king. Obey him, pay him, pray for him, and give thanks for him. I'm thankful we don't have a draft right now, and I doubt if President Barack Obama is going to give us a draft in the next four years. Right. You say, but he doesn't believe in a strong enough military. How do you know? What do you know about the military? Who in the world are you talking about? You need to be taken out and shot. Right. You don't know anything about the military. You don't even know what we have in the military. Do you know that you didn't even know we had an SR-71 until after 25, 25 years after it was commissioned? You probably think the SR-71 was commissioned about 1985. It was commissioned in 1957. You don't know anything. So respectfully and with all love, 
as your pastor, shut up. And tell me the same thing when you hear me pontificating about government. I'm thankful that my sons and the boys in this church have not been drafted into one of their so-called wars. That's as far as I'll go. Eat, drink, and be merry. God will take care of us under Obama. Hate, fear, and fear mongers. They deny the faith. They sow rebellion. Be cheerful, positive, and thankful as godly, contented Christians. And that's what we want to do today. Hold with me. He removeth kings and he setteth up kings. And so the first point that we just made back here on this slide, God gave us Barack Obama for another term because he removes kings and he sets up kings. Promotion cometh not from the east, the north, or the south, but from the Lord. He, he puts one up and puts down another. We just learned it last Sunday. Job worshipped and did not complain when he lost everything. You've lost nothing on Wednesday morning except your pride. You lost. Our nation deserves judgment, so we shouldn't be surprised who we get. No one's getting away with anything. God's never going to be mocked. God's in total charge. He's just playing out a drama on a stage. The angels have classified information. That's the exciting thing. They're the watchers and the holy ones that the Bible describes. And God's our Father, and the angels are our servants. It's wonderful to know that. There is an army, an unseen, invisible army that is innumerable. And it's the angels. And they are assigned to protect us. And God is our Father who created them to protect us. When the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Okay, I gave you this on Wednesday evening. Saints, Sai, Shushan, the palace, the capital city of Persia was perplexed. And the time is coming when we may disappear by not being as vocal as we are these days. But it certainly isn't here yet. And we are not persecuted at all. This passage right here describes a present distress in Corinth that did influence their marriages as to whether they should marry or not because of the families being tortured in that city. But we're not, we're anything close to that. We still get a benefit for being married and filing a joint return of a husband and a wife. We can still follow the good word of God found in Jeremiah 29. From Wednesday evening, it told us to build, to plant, to eat, to marry, to increase, and to pray. To anyone watching this, I would encourage you to really get to know that passage where God told his church, having been hauled 500 miles into captivity in Babylon, to do those things while they were there for 70 years so that they might increase. The church was in Babylon. Babylon had raped and raised Jerusalem and their temple. All political changes are by God's will and works, and it tells us that right in the context. Saints should proceed with any economic activity that you have planned for your family, any business plan that you have that's reasonable and that you've sought counsel for, proceed with it. Any desirable family activity, proceed with it. Seek and pray for the peace of America, for your peace in it. That's what the passage teaches. It's a wonderful passage. I strongly encourage you to read it. I'm hurrying a little faster right now because of what we need to cover. We've already looked at this. The church was under Rome. They had killed Jesus and the apostles, but yet we were to pray for rulers, and they were the Roman rulers. Saints, supplicate, pray, intercede, and give thanks for rulers. These two passages are so similar. Right here, these two passages. One in the Old Testament church, one for the New Testament church. They desire a peaceful environment to live godly and honestly, just like we do, so that we may have good and acceptable lives in the sight of God. Be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. Amen. A political conspiracy took his life just 24 hours later, and he knew it was coming. Our brother is king of the universe over all presidents, including President Obama. 
God is our refuge and help. We can be at peace. He is our present help in time of need. He protected his saints in all ages and situations, and he will us. You say, but what about those that died at martyrs? Died as martyrs. Oh, how are you going to stop dying as a martyr? Oh, I know. You're thinking about denying Jesus Christ. Is that what you're thinking of? When it's time for us to die as martyrs, you aren't going to stop it. Unless you're going to deny Jesus Christ. So why are you even thinking about it? And since it's over a thousand years away anyway, why are you worried about it? You say, how do you know it's a thousand years away? Because in the 60s, you'd have told me it was six months away. The world is ignorantly foolish. It's not a thousand years away. The Lord's coming isn't a thousand years away. The world's ignorantly foolish and it's ours anyway. Can we live under this president? Absolutely. Can we pray for him, trust him, pay him, honor him, fear him, not tell jokes about him, not curse him in our thoughts? Can we give thanks for him? Yes, we can. Men lived under Caesar. We've been talking about Nero. He ruled Rome for these 14 years right here as a cruel tyrant. He had his mother kill a brother. He killed a brother. He killed his mother. He set fire to Rome, blamed it on the Christians. He kicked his wife until he killed her. He tortured Christians in every way possible, including waxing them and using them for lamps in his private garden. Jesus said, render to Caesar, and he was talking about that office. Paul taught the powers that be are ordained of God, and he was talking about that man. Peter said, submit yourself to every ordinance of man and honor the king, and he was talking about Nero. Paul taught, be subject to principalities and powers, and he was talking about the Roman Empire. The Jews had the Old Testament constitution. The The Christians had the New Testament. But none of them reviled their leaders. None of them. So what if they had constitutions? Living under Caesar. Remember this passage? Speaking evil of dignities? Despising government? Railing accusations? Talking about things that you don't understand? Let's not do it. Do you grasp the weight of the Bible demanding honor to Nero? Do you grasp that? Would you supplicate, pray, intercede, and give thanks for him? Now, I've had to come to grips with this before I got to you today. Because I had to figure this one out. I read a number of commentaries who caught themselves coming and going trying to figure out what the words meant. But I can think of a lot of things that we can be thankful for in the life of Paul from Nero. Just like we can think about things that we can be thankful for from President Obama. I hope he hates war in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. For any cause over there. You say you're talking like a liberal. What's that? What, What chapter and verse are you thinking of? What are you talking about? I don't want my sons to go off and fight in some war. Would you pay taxes and avoid any cursing, despising, or reviling of Nero? Would you be a faithful citizen and reject all talk of rebellion? Christians aren't revolutionaries. Christians are members of another kingdom, and they're faithful to the kingdom that God puts them in because they trust his providence. President Obama is many times better than Nero. We can start thanking God for him right there. Amen. Can you live under him? Can we, can we eat, drink, and be merry under him? Can we be excited and thankful under him? Can we pray for him? 
Can we protect his integrity by not allowing, cursing, slandering, despising jokes about him? Our fathers did it under Nero. The church of the Old Testament did it under Pharaoh. Our brethren did it under Antiochus IV, that's Epiphanes, of the Seleucid dynasty of the Greeks. They did it under Bloody Mary. Lady Jane, any of you know about Lady Jane? King James? Can we give thanks for a king that killed Baptists and imprisoned many? Can we give thanks for him? He got us our Bible. How about living under a state church? Maine and its congregational church in this country in the late 1600s detained and fined William Screven a Baptist pastor in that state. His crime, he preached as a Baptist against infant baptism. About 1685, he moved his 28 church members to Charleston, South Carolina. His son Elisha built Antipato Baptist Church of Christ in 1710 in what is now the city of Georgetown, South Carolina. South Carolina was Episcopal or the Church of England. Did you know that you paid taxes to support the clergy and the building of Church of England buildings. If you lived in South Carolina, you paid taxes, and those taxes were used to pay the ministers of the Church of England and to build the Church of England buildings. This is our country. But do you know why William Screven wanted to go to a state like South Carolina that was Episcopal and get away from Maine and its Jonathan Edwards denomination? Because he had the liberty down there to preach whatever he wanted to even name his church Antipato and position it right next door to the Church of England right. on Church Street in Georgetown, South Carolina. Does that man have wisdom and understanding? In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, did he know the times? We don't want to live under a state church. Do you know how they keep saying about separation of church and state? And we know that in the early days of our country... It was understood differently than that. I want them to keep a separation between church and state so that we don't have humanism or Islam or any other ism made the religion of this state. And by state, I mean our country, which gives us the liberty to worship as the Bible directs us. Right. For every subject, there is at least one other side for you to look at it from. And if we're wise... We're never going to return to the way our founding fathers looked at the Christian religion as being the religion of our nation. You're not going to get us back there. Only God can get us back there. We live in times where we need to be more prudent than that, and we should appreciate separation of church and state. Otherwise, we end up being like Maine or South Carolina with trouble. We can live under him. May the Lord bless us to learn the lesson of Scripture and to live cheerfully under him.